Hey, welcome back to another episode of When Banned Things Happen to Good People, a podcast about censorship and the arts. My name's Todd Sullivan. Joining me again this week is Carlo Sia. Hey, everyone. And we are finishing our look at This Book is Anti-Racist. Carlo, it's uh, it's good to have you here again. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me back for part two. Yeah, it uh, it's weird. It feels like we just recorded a podcast last week. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, wait, is that because we recorded two podcasts we, last week? We've been busy this week, yes. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, getting on the ball here. Well, because this is a you know still a relatively sort of young person's book, it was easy to pull ahead on the reading, and we're recording this one about a week and a half before it needs to be out, which is uh, uh, a chance to get on top of things, which I always like. Yeah, this was definitely a good book for me to take on because I'm not uh, an avid reader. So uh, I felt like I was able to read it pretty quickly, which made me feel real well. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can add a book to your, you know, things that you've completed in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. You can go, go to That's Goodreads. sad. And, and like an elementary it's, book. <laughs> it's not too late to go to Goodreads and like, you know, choose your goal for how many books you'd like to read in 2021. You still got, you know, two and a half-ish, no, well, two and a quarter-ish <laughs> months to finish up some 2021 reading. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. So thank you for getting me to read a book in 2021. Book at all, yeah. <laughs> this Do was a good like, book to read, though. It was a good book to read. Do you find that, um, like, looking ahead to 2022, that is really the first year, I think, that's felt, like, truly, like, science fiction. Truly, I cannot fathom the fact that we're about to exist in the year 2022. Uh, you know what? It's not so much, like, existing in that year. I feel like the science fiction is just everything that's happened in the last couple of years and, and where things are going to go moving else. forward. I don't know, that's more than anything for me. Yeah, I don't know, something about the year 2022 just seems like an unrealistic sounding year, more than any other past year. Well, wasn't it like back in the the older movies from like the 60s and 70s, they were, you know, looking at the 2020s to be the year where everything, we're going to have flying cars and all that crazy stuff. It is interesting to look back at like some of the dates that science fiction movies have used for the future before because i mean we're well past plenty of them yes <laughs> you know and remember, we haven't uh, gotten as far as we thought that we were going to be no man like <laughs> we we sent a man to like jupiter and then threw into another dimension of becoming like a space baby in 2001 according to Stanley kubrick's film so we do have hoverboards, though, but they're not real they hoverboards. Don't hover. Yeah, no, they've just, I guess they gave up on that and they're like, well, fuck it, we can't do this. So let's just take something else that rolls along and <laughs> give it that we'll name. Say we accomplished something. Hoverboard, and <laughs> yeah. And hopefully anyone who hasn't seen Back to the Future will be free. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how you doing? What's, what's going uh, on? I'm life? doing really well. Yeah. I, uh, it's been a good week. It seems to have just flown by. Um, 
yeah, I think I can't really complain. The weather's been nice. I've been running more. So yeah, I've been being healthy in general. It's awesome. And then Let me now tell you how, how things are going for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Um, and I think this uh, this story I think would be relatable to many people, and it's it's kind of indicative of just where my status is in general. I think so. I got up today. I got to leave the house a little earlier than normal because uh, my daughter Morgan. It was a uh, parent teacher interview, so I had to be at the school at uh, one thirty for that, and so. Um, had the parent-teacher interview. Everything was fine. Uh, went out for coffee with uh, her and my ex, Morgan's mom, afterwards. We went to Starbucks. Blah, 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 blah. We had a nice visit. Afterwards, I went home. And uh, one of the first things I do when I get home is I take my pants off because I'm a grown-up and I don't have to wear <laughs> pants at home if I don't want to. And so after taking my pants off, I go into the bathroom because it's time to wee. And I promptly realized that uh, my underwear is on backwards. Oh, wow. This, That's... like, <laughs> you talk, I mean, you see people who get, like, their shirts on backwards or their shirts on inside out or something. This might be the first time I put my underwear on backwards. You know what, though? That's less embarrassing than having something on the outside of your clothes that's well, inside right out, that. right? You're Unless right you had that. your underwear on the outside of your clothes. And, <laughs> and that's just, it's yeah. a double mistake at that point, yeah. I think. <laughs> But I, I feel like that's really like a really good metaphor, like for being all like, you know, put together and in control and on top of things on the surface. But underneath, you're kind of a mess and maybe you don't even know it. <laughs> so that's uh, that's how I'm feeling about things today. But for the most part, I feel like, you know, at least on the surface, I'm uh, I'm large and in charge or whatever that saying would be. <laughs> Well, that's good. Uh, and uh, did you manage to get like a drink or anything while you were flipping your underwear inside out or outside in? <laughs> like at that exact moment, was I like? Oh, shit, well, like after you fixed your your situation, uh, were you? <laughs> did you have yourself enough together to to get some drink? I do have a drink. If that's what you're, if I you're, am. Yeah, trying, trying to be trying fun to with to. that. Yes. Sorry, I shouldn't bring fun um, to the show. I uh, I just have a plain old. Uh, Sleeman Clear 2.0, which is one of those low carb beers. It's not my favorite. Uh, it's a, it's got a kind of a Molson Canadian kind of like traditional Canadian lager taste to it, which is not my favorite beer. But it also comes in 15 packs, which I appreciate. So, nice. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, it's only like two grams of carbs per uh, per can. So that makes me feel good. Nice. Well, that's good. How about you? You've um, got more of your U-Brew stuff? I have. I was going to go into the U-Brew, but I had a can of Guinness just hanging out uh, by nice. itself in the fridge. I was like, you know what? I'm going to treat myself tonight. Doing the podcast, I'm going to have that delicious beer. So I'm uh, I'm actually going to crack this open right now so you all can enjoy the fizz. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. That's some ASMR right there. That yeah. Mm. That's good. Well, uh, cheers. I'm going to have my first sip here. It's, it's finally and poured. Cheers to so. you, sir. And with that, let's begin our uh, our continuation. Or, sorry, uh, burp. Let's continue <laughs> our continued look at... Uh, let's con- let's, have, let's, <laughs> let's continue, continue the continuation from let's the first part that we're going to continue. Of our ongoing... <laughs> and with that, <laughs> let's... Uh, let's jump back into our conversation about this book is anti-racist. 
just to sort of get you caught up on the news, um, this book kind of got uh, outed in some controversy um, in South Lake, Texas, where it was kind of the catalyst for the school districts in that area sort of uh, coming down on school libraries and saying, if you're going to have any books in them on controversial subjects, then you have to make sure that the the controversial subjects are treated neutrally or else, you know, if you have one book that's like a negative perspective, you have to have another book that's the alternate perspective. Um, uh, so, you know, they ran into problems where you've got books like this on uh, on racism, you know, what's it's in fact anti-racism. Uh, you know, and the question then is like, what is the, um, what's a pro racist perspective of that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and another one of the specifics that did come up in the, in the schools as part of the conversation were books about the Holocaust. And, and that was the thing that was brought up. Uh, someone saying like, what is the opposing view of the Holocaust? And, and finally, since we last recorded, the school has come forward and said, yeah, you know what? You got us. There is no opposing view on the Holocaust. It was all bad. Oh, wow. That's so interesting that's, for them to admit that. Yeah, that's hopefully a step in the right direction. Um, that direction being getting their heads out of their asses. Um, <laughs> yes. But um, but yeah, hopefully that's a that that can, you know, they can start bringing the idea that there are more subjects than that just that yeah that don't really have or shouldn't have an equal footing with its opposite right yeah that's it's a good place for the um, the educators to be in saying that okay well you open the gates of allowing for you know us to kibosh some ideas so now here's some other ones like we don't need pro-racist books. We just need anti-racist ones. Yeah, yeah. And and it shouldn't be that the solution is to just get rid of all books that discuss racism either, right? Yeah. So, um, looking at... Uh, we're covering the second half of the book, uh, this episode. The, the first half of the book was sort of made up of two parts, and that was really focused on kind of self-analysis. At, at looking at yourself and and uh, and again, this is sort of a workbook. It's it's not lecturing you about anything. It's really inviting you to come along on a journey and and participate in it. And so, it you know throughout the book, it asks you to like create your own workbook and like you know think about yourself and your life and your family and your heritage and all this and 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 your privilege and your lack of privilege where uh, those things apply and. Now in the second half of the book, it's more focused on action versus mm-hmm. introspection. Um, so yeah, we're looking at part three first, uh, choosing my path, taking action and responding to racism. And I, I, I kind of took substantially less notes this time compared to last time because I think like I said last time, trying to break it down into chapters didn't work. Uh, but whereas part three and part four each kind of feel like their own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And part three opens with a quote um, that I think is is valid in looking at um, the importance of taking action. And that is, you can't hear silence. Inaction cannot be seen. We cannot feel the momentum of change if nothing happens. And so it's it's that reminder that that s- simply not being racist is not sufficient. 
right? Yeah, it's still allowing that. Like, I mean, you might not be propagating any new racism, but you're still allowing for what's out there to kind of mm-hmm. circulate and allow it to kind of infect others. And there, I don't think we talked about it in the first part, but she does. I think it was right at the beginning. She kind of describes um, racism as like a smog that we breathe uh, or like dirty air that we breathe. And yep. that's kind of, you know, along the same vein of like, if we're not constantly cleaning up the air, we're just, you know, letting it blow out there, then yeah, other people are going to be breathing it in and it's going to affect them. So I think we all do need yeah. to to take a part. And I think too, like, you know, it, it it's nice to certainly pat yourself on the back and, and be like, well, I'm not a, racist person and i didn't do anything racist today and so you know in its own way that's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's that's a victory but again you know it's the idea that you can't you know again you can't hear silence and so all of those people that are um still affected by rather uh, you know either individual racism or institutional racism um they're still affected by that and they they don't see your inaction they don't hear your silence when when all you do is the absence of a thing right Mm -hmm. uh and so this book is really 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 pushing for people to stand up and speak up and the thing that i forget about too as i read this is that this really is geared at uh children you know, the author talks in this in this section about um, how looking back on, you know, we talked last time about the story about the the child in her class who was bullied by the teacher and everything else, and how looking back she wished that she had had stood up for that student and and said, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this. You know, she wished she could have marched down the hall to the office and and you know told the principal or the secretary to write that teacher up and blah 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 blah. And she goes into this long list of things that she wished that she had done. And and thinking about that and thinking about the audience of this book, again, reminded me of talking last week about the um, the first black kids in integrated schools and how we're mm-hmm. sending these these children into these these pits of, you know, anger and and uh, and hate. And that's still kind of what this book is saying. Like, you know, it's it's really asking young people to to be pretty damn brave. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree there. Like even though maybe there are a lot more people who are tolerant to, you know, mixing races and and getting, you know, everyone in schools and stuff, there are still a lot of people who, especially in the states, you know, are against it. There's, you know, it was what last year that they were marching with their Confederate flags and all that. Like it's yeah, it's still scary for kids there and, you know, everywhere else that they're just growing up. They're probably already insecurity about their own bodies just because of social media itself. And then you go into a place that now they don't feel wanted uh, or as wanted as, you know, some of the other, um, you know, the what the quote unquote majority uh, is, you know, how they're wanted. And yeah, it. it it's definitely a brave thing for kids to, you know, to go to school or just to go well, even, anywhere. Even beyond that, there's a, you know, a section in, or a portion in this part of the book that talks about like, you know, hypothetically, let's say you're in the car with your family and you're driving down the road and you see a couple of black kids who are being harassed by the police. Um, 
And she lists all of these different things that that you, as the reader, could do. You know, like, you know, ask ask your parent to pull a car over and, and, and get out and go and sort of, you know, watch what's going on and, and you know, speak up and say, like, we see you. Or mm-hmm. you know, ask them, is there anything that that we can do to help? Um, and, it, you know, again, as I'm reading through this, though, like, I'm reading all this and thinking, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm also reading it as, you know, a 48-year-old man. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have to stop and think, like, this book is actually directed, this is actually directing, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids to have that kind of um, awareness, that kind of um, bravery. Well, and that, yeah, that part there, to me, it, it I like, I, as I was reading this book, uh, the book, I kept it in my head that this is for kids, and so it. I could see at that part where uh, I even like made a note here where like white parents might get upset uh, that this book is telling their kids to kind of go up against the authority. But on the same time, like this, this is telling those kids that, yeah, sure, maybe police are supposed to be there to help you out, but that hasn't been the case for the global majority. And so we need to just hold them accountable basically and that and everyone has to do that so you need to get your parents out you need to start filming you need to ask to make sure everyone's okay and yeah like you said like this is geared towards kids Mm -hmm. and it is it's putting a lot of pressure on 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 kids but i also think that you know to an extent if it's not if it's not put there it's not you know how much longer is it going to take for things to get better right yeah, I think, I mean, it starts with reading this book. This is basically the the starting point and the, the, that the least that we as a society could do is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at least understanding from other, po- other people's point of view and then consciously making an effort to do things like ask if somebody is okay, watch them as the, you know, they might be arrested by the police just to make sure that the system that's already, you know, against them and unjust to them isn't going to continue to further that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the book also, um, you know, talks a little bit about when you're dealing with other people on a, on a direct basis, it draws a distinction between um, calling someone out and calling someone in and, so first of all, I think this is the first time I've ever heard the phrase calling in. Yeah, same. Um, which I don't know if it if it's a recent phrase or if it's always been there because it does kind of make sense when you when you figure out what it is in 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 relation to calling someone out. But it was like, well, I just never heard that before. But when you call someone out, it's like in a public thing where you're like, hey, you don't be so damn racist. Um, and it's in a public setting in front of other it's people. In a public yeah, setting in front of other people. Uh, whereas calling someone in, they, they give an example of like, you know, maybe inviting someone out for lunch and doing it in a more private setting where you can be like, hey, you know, you know maybe that's not so cool. You shouldn't do that. Da, 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 da. Uh, and the other thing they mention in, in conjunction with whether to call someone out or call someone in is to kind of be aware of your your own privilege, your own position and, you know. You know, do you have the authority in a given situation to effectively call someone out 
Or would you be in a position where, you know, you don't have enough power in that scenario to be able to do it effectively? And so it might be better to either call someone in or even call someone in with a third party there who can help. Or, you know, they also mentioned that if it's a systemic problem, um, it might be more beneficial to call someone out and draw attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, there yeah, were a few a different of... scenarios they gave and reasons why you might do this or do, might do that and where it might be effective. Um, and yeah, there was one where I think it was the author was saying that she didn't feel that she had the strength to do it. And so she relied on a friend to to like call someone out or call someone in. And it was, you know, basically like you don't have to do it all. Just knowing your strength and knowing where you yeah. can get strength uh, to do that, I think was one of the parts that kind of got to me and then a bit that came up a little bit later too was in realizing that you know one approach your certain approaches are not always correct either she cites a point later in the book where she uh called someone out and ended up kind of causing more injury in her relationship to that person that she felt uh eroded some ability to make forward progress with them Mm -hmm. yeah and it would have ultimately been more efficient to call them in um but that that you know comes to i think one of the the aspects of part four which we're not talking about yet but still Hmm. the idea that it's important to keep learning you know um you you do certain things and you find out they work but you find out other things don't work or certain approaches don't work um you know revise your strategy moving forward and and give yourself permission to make mistakes and also you know if you do make mistakes you know acknowledge them to the people you've made them to as well right you know it's nothing wrong with going to someone and saying like you know maybe i maybe i crossed the line there i apologize but right yeah i think that's just good in you know in life in general is realize that people make mistakes so i think we need to be open to that and and build upon that, right? And if you know that you made a mistake, then yeah, apologize, try and do better next time. And especially with, with racism. Yeah, especially with racism. Um, more so than, say, making a sandwich. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who, who knows? Maybe that mistake may turn into the best sandwich you've ever had. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah that doesn't ever happen with racism. <laughs> no. You accidentally do something racist and it turns into a great thing. That's not the case. But sometimes... <laughs> You know, a fumble with a sandwich can be like, you know, a good thing. Uh, and then part three ends with, uh, what well, doesn't quite end with, but near the end, there's uh, another quote they have um, from Maya Angelou, which is, when you know better, do better. But I actually went and Googled the full version of that quote, because I think the mm. full version of it is is better because it gives more context. And the full version is, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better do better. And I I think that first part is really important because it it means that no matter where you are on the spectrum of anti-racism right now, you are absolutely doing the best you can. Because, you know, you have what information you have, you, you know, you have your you know whatever um preconceptions you have, like whatever you're carrying with you right now, is you doing the best you can, mm-hmm. but we should always be striving 
to do better, to learn more, to improve, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's the thing, you know, lifelong learning. Um, I used to work with the school district in town and that, that was the thing is lifelong learning. You're never done learning. Um, so even if you think you're doing an amazing job right now at combating, you know, racism, it, it can always be better and never think, never become complacent in just the fact that you, you think you know everything kind of thing. That was kind of, you know, one of the most important things or has been continuingly over the the last few years for me about like all kinds of things. Um, But, you know, for example, with this book, you know, opening myself up to the importance of not just being not racist, but the importance of taking that step forward and pushing back against racism, being actively anti-racist whenever possible. Um, I've, uh, you know, I've also learned a lot over the last couple of years about trans issues because mm-hmm. I have been following more and more, uh, trans people on social media and on, on YouTube and just spending more time listening to them and informing myself about what, what their day to day is, what, what they are hoping to achieve. And, uh, you know, I'm far, far, far more uh, aware of what's going on there and far more able to speak about it and, and happy to speak about it than I was uh, five years ago. And I think that's a good thing too, right? Well, and just going on that, just to um, kind of give an example of some of a time that I actually saw you stand up um, and call someone out. I won't use names or anything, but um, we were sitting at a table at a restaurant and it was no one was being you know malicious with any any words that were being said, but um, there were the directors. I forget their names. That I think they directed the Matrix. That are now the sisters. Oh, they were yeah, the brothers, the Wachowski sisters. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even know that. And our friend, our colleague, there was uh, called them the the Wachowski brothers. And you 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 know before even the you know he finished the story, you were like, oh, you mean the sisters? And then that kind of opened up a dialogue at the table, which was really good and informative. Like I learned a lot at you know while we were mm-hmm. just talking about that from from that story. Um, but that was just something that kind of stood out for me when you made it like a pretty, pretty big deal to correct where he had gone wrong there. Uh, and it wasn't just kind of like, oh, you know, here's the call him this now. It was, there was like some education behind it. And that I think we need more people to, to do that, call people out. It wasn't anything uncomfortable. I mean, we had a good conversation out of it and now we all, know a little something more, but I, I want to thank you for, for doing that um, just in that well, moment. Yeah. I mean, to me, it was no different than, you know, correcting, say somebody had said, you know, I read this book by Stephen Kong last night called The Shining. And it's like, you know, I, I step in and say, well, that's not his name. And, but it it is, I think like for myself five years ago, I probably would have thought much like our our friend did that, you know, if you're referring to who they were, then, then you would just call them who they were then, and that would be fine. Mm-hmm. And it's it's only because of my own desire for self improvement and, and 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 really just an honest curiosity about um, perspectives that I don't share. Like I'm not mm-hmm. a trans person, and so I am kind of curious about what it means to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, but that's where learning it's, in all aspects. Yeah, and that's where it starts is from you know a friend having a conversation with others that you know sparks that curiosity and interest in them, and then 
you know, later on, they'll be in a conversation that something similar may come up or something along the race lines. And they will at least have started their process in learning and maybe feel more comfortable to call people out or in and just, you know, correct the, you know, what they had said or, or educate them on something that they didn't know. And to our friend's credit as well, I mean, he was incredibly receptive to the, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, like I said, it was a really good conversation that we all had. Uh, Like it was a, it was a good, yeah, just good conversation that I was happy to be a part of in that moment. Hmm. Um, Moving on to, that's all I have the notes I have for part three. And I don't know how your notes are organized. If there's anything else you want. I actually did them by chapters this time, but I don't have a whole lot of, (laughs) yeah. So I was like, oh, maybe he's going to do it the same way. Um, I, you've kind of touched on just the quotes that we talked about and just the calling out and in. Um, So yeah, you've kind of covered off everything I've got. I think that's the one other um, talking point in that chapter was the question of, analyzing what your superpowers are in this context. And um, she talks about her superpower being her, her ability to interrupt people. She's not Mm -hmm. shy about cutting someone off and, um, you know, correcting them or, or whatever. I would say for myself, my, in this context, my, my greatest superpower is probably just being a white male, Mm -hmm. um, which gives me, I'm a part of the dominant culture, which gives me a position of privilege when talking to the dominant culture. But, you know, like even just being in the dominant culture, like I don't want you to sell yourself short and I'm not trying to give you a pat on the back or anything, but just being in the dominant culture doesn't necessarily mean that you can make a change. And that's not a superpower really in itself. Um, I think with you, yes, it gives you an easier chance to have tougher conversations, but you are also not, you're not one to back down from a debate. Like I've seen some of your Facebook chat or uh, <laughs> threads that you put out in the comments there. So you, I think another one of your superpowers that in combination with being, uh, you know, it's part of the dominant fun. culture is that, yeah, you won't back down from a fight. You are willing to stand up for what is right um, and, and help, uh, you know, the global majority in their fight uh in all our fight and yeah so i like i wouldn't say that just be you know just being white is your only superhero thing that you've got going on um no i I actually uh, that means a lot i I appreciate that uh that you think i'm stubborn and that you think that's the the (laughs) i'm I'm flattered actually honestly i am (laughs) do you have a do you have a like a self-identified superpower do you think or um i mean i'm i'm a good listener um yeah. Uh, yeah i think i'm i'm one who would be more to call someone in than out i don't think i'm as you know as outgoing as i am i don't think i'm as outgoing to call someone out at that level because then it would make me feel uncomfortable and i don't think i would be able to then do as good of a job in educating or getting things to to where they you know need to be um but i am I am good at listening to people and talking with them, you know, one-on-one and, and getting, having a good debate. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I guess that would be mine would be, you know, if I do hear stuff going on, I have no problem talking to someone, taking them aside and just hearing them out from their side, you know, why, you know, why would you say this? What What's going on in your head? And then having that civil conversation with them right there. 
I, you know, sometimes it doesn't always work, just like uh, she had said in the the book. Like, it's not always the right way to go or not the most effective way. Um, But I think that's the the best way for me. (laughs) I do think that, yeah, probably for the most part, calling someone in is going to be the more effective way, at least to improve them or to change their outlook, because nobody, nobody likes having a mistake or whatever called out in front of a bunch of people. Um, but now having said that though, like it is a lot harder for the person doing the calling cause you're just one-on-one. So if, if you're somebody who, uh, you know, is very confident and feels able to go head to head with somebody, then yeah, calling them in, I think is a great way to go. But if you don't necessarily have the experience or aren't feeling as strong, going one-on-one especially like if you were a small smaller woman against a giant guy maybe you know calling them in although i'm sure maybe they might be more receptive to it you as a person if you're not comfortable with you know being in the one-on-one situation that's not always the best way so it is it's a kind of a fine balancing thing of which way would be more effective which way am i more effective which will will they be more receptive so yeah, it's, there's a lot to think and unpack, uh, you know, in that one section there. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of it, you know, too, she talks about how it's not always just about the person you're, you know, reacting to. She she talked about a time where um, she did call someone out, and then when that person pushed back, she felt like, oh, maybe this wasn't a great decision. And then she looked at the other people who were there who were with her and who were on her side and, you know, sort of getting the the thumbs up or the acknowledgement from them, you know, sometimes it's not about the person you're correcting, but it's about, mm-hmm. it's about standing up to the power and, and letting the, everybody else know that they're not alone. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's where calling out, it, it, I think that's where you call someone out is when they've been, they're pushing against maybe a group publicly and you need to show that group, no, we're not going to stand for that. Whereas if it's, if it's more of a smaller mistake that a person's made, you might call them in to be like, you know, have you thought about this? Um, And then she does also mention though, that I think one of her friends that she had called in a few times wasn't receptive or somebody she knew wasn't receptive and just kept doing the same thing. And then at that point, yeah, calling in isn't working for them. That's not how they're going to learn. So you do have to call them out. Uh, and maybe embarrassing them is more, you know, a better way for them to m- remember something than to yeah. educate them. There's no absolute right and there's no absolute wrong way to do these things. It's mm-hmm. just, you just kind of wing it and uh, and uh, follow your gut and it works or it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so the last part of the book is part four, holding the door open, working in solidarity against racism. And it's, uh, it's all pretty much the same as part three, you know, talking about what you can do, but you know, it's about working as a, as a whole. And the, the first point in the chapter, uh, or the part, whatever is to spend your privilege. So wherever it is that you have privileged, that's where you start, um, and and use that privilege as much as you can in these conversations, right? Yeah, I like this one line. Um, I think it was near the beginning. 
Uh, black, indigenous, and folks of the global majority do not need to be saved. We all need racism to be eradicated. I like that, especially for us, you know, two white guys doing this uh, podcast mm-hmm. on this book is, you know, we shouldn't be coming at it from the lens of we need to save them, you know, we need to help them and whatever. It's like, no, we just need to help do our part to eradicate racism so that we're all, you know, equal and we all have the the benefits that that the, you know, the dominant culture has been um, taking advantage of all these years. Yeah. Yeah. And I know for myself, I mean, you know, part of the the benefit I've had reading this book is analyzing my privilege and, um, you know, like you said, as a, as a white cis male, I am always kind of aware of that privileged position I have. And, and I, try to keep myself open to opportunities to be be reminded of it and to to look at it from perspectives maybe that I I haven't. Yeah, I and I think it's something that's becoming more like it's becoming more and more uh I guess normal for us to to realize where we are in like a, a like a, the privilege scale, uh, mm-hmm. like it's something that's more out there. Uh, whereas you know when my parents were growing up, I'm sure they were just that was just life. Like you got these things and other people didn't. And uh, back then it was probably you thought it was because of how their family was raised or where they lived or whatever. And now yeah, we're starting to realize like no, the system was rigged against them from the start. Yeah. And the reason why they lived where they lived or had, you know, the lack of uh, access, um, accessibility to all these things was because of this system that cis white men created. And so now we are aware of it and as we should be, we should be, mm-hmm. you know, grateful that it, it got us here. But now we need to do something to help build them up too, Yeah, right? And build everyone up and get rid of this racist shit. There was a bit uh, in this section of the book uh, where she was talking about microaggressions and examples of where she had pushed back against them. And there, so one of the examples was this this person had said to someone else, you're pretty for a black girl. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and her response was, uh, you're pretty racist. But when I first read that line, I thought her response was, you're pretty for a racist, <laughs> which I think might actually be a better comeback. Yeah, but I don't think she wanted to give them the benefit of being pretty. <laughs> no, that's true. But still, I think, you know, and maybe not pretty, but like you could do the same thing. Yeah. It, 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 I think it emphasizes the, exact the same point, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're pretty for a black girl is about as meaningful as like you're hot for a racist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. What are you doing? You're it's, it's dumb. It's, yeah, has no meaning. Uh, yeah, take your backhanded compliment and get the heck out of here. Yeah, you're smart for a dumb yeah. guy. I to me that was that just seems weird for somebody to to say something like that. Like you're pretty for anything or you're this for that. I don't know. It just like that comparing you know giving that compliment and then comparing them to something else. I guess I just am aware enough to know that that kind of negates some of the com- the the compliment. But that's probably because I don't know. I've done a bit of reading you know before this on mm-hmm. how you know how women are treated unfairly and all the crap that they have to be you know have to deal with from men 
So I don't know. I guess I'm just more aware of compliments. And when I, you know, compliment someone, it's less of their, their looks. <laughs> when it's a good and, compliment, when it's a bad compliment. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then I've also started, like, just not even complimenting on their looks. Like, finding other aspects of their being that I, you know, I find, uh, I guess, attractive. Like, their humor or, you know, things like that that aren't based right, off of looks. but I think looks, even but, then it's like... It- it doesn't work any better to say like you've got really good taste in movies for a black. Person. Yeah, I, I would. I would never. <laughs> I would just stop it at like you've got really good taste in movies. That's right, it. That's, I don't need to compare it to anything else, right? <laughs> I don't care what you know, what ethnicity or color she is, right? Like, just I like your taste in movies. It's good. We, I think we could hang out. <laughs> Carlo, you have interesting uh, taste in cuisine for an Italian. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I don't trust all that hot sauce in your fridge. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot. <laughs> it's, about, it's about all you have, I think, isn't it? Um, I've added some other stuff. I added some uh, some salad dressing to the mix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. You know what? I actually just bought salad dressing this week myself because I realized, and I don't have this happen, I've got like half full bottles of salad dressing in my fridge that supposedly expired in like 2020. And it's like... <laughs> wow. Like, I know I don't eat a lot of salad, but holy shit. Like, wow. Well, now you just need to eat more salad. That's I think that's what we need to take away from this one. That is what we need to take away from that. So I threw in a bunch of my salad dressings, and now I have a, uh, I have a raspberry vinaigrette and a, uh, a blue cheese in my, mm. in my fridge. Yeah. Um, and then there was a point at the end of this section um, that just said, love yourself and believe in yourself. And I thought that's worth taking note of and I think it's important in this conversation um, especially if you are gonna stand up against racism it is important to believe in yourself and believe in the strength of your own voice and, and the importance of that voice in the conversation mm-hmm. yes there's a lot of really good I liked this book for the fact that she made me think just a lot about myself in general and then the way that other people have lived their lives and how it's differed from like just the mentality of how they have to think about, you know, if you are with your parents and someone's being arrested, like watch how the police are treating the, you know, the, the black people that they're, they're dealing with and, you know, fo- take your camera out. And like, that's not something I think partly from where, you know, we live, that you don't see that very often. But then I was thinking like, okay, but we do have a lot of people that live on the main drag that are people experiencing homelessness who, yeah, you see them doing some sort of drugs in the morning and and in the evening. And then you see the cops in there doing whatever, but it's like, okay, well, what, what brought them to that point? How did society, you know, set them up to fail? And how can I make sure that they're being treated fairly Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I don't know. It's just been a lot of thinking over the last you know week of reading this book, and I I'm glad that uh, you've asked me to to be a part of this one because yeah, it's opened my eyes a lot more than I thought they were. Yeah, I think I, I find the same in my response to the book. Uh, I think it's it was the subject is so well handled in that you know no matter I think where you're coming from, like. 
You know, reading it, like I said, I've said a few times, it it does remind us of, you know, where our privilege is uh, and isn't. And, you know, for myself, I certainly, I think, tick a lot of privilege boxes, but it invites you to analyze that in a way that's not asking you to feel guilty about it either, you know? And I think that's where a lot of people's knee-jerk response to this sort of conversation is, is in in feeling like they need to feel guilty because of their privilege. And I, I don't think that's necessary. I think, you know, you can be aware of the privilege. And, you know, in fact, like, you know, she encourages you to spend your privilege, mm-hmm. you know, take advantage of your privilege and uh, and use it as a as a currency in this in this conversation to maybe get messages out to a different demographic than others can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be more effective where others feel that they can't, right? In in reaching other people. Um, I have I don't know if we're this far in. I think we're because we're nearing the end of the book. But I have a just a yeah. note. Um, a line that she had written in here and it kind of goes, um, touches on the, the quote from Maya Angelou, uh, know that even, uh, sorry, know that even though your intentions were kind, the impact of your mistake is lasting and affects folks beyond yourself. Listen to others while they call you in and out and learn from those moments and mistakes. Work on not repeating them and try not to let them deter you from doing the work. So that kind of is, I just feel like another way of reiterating that we're we're constantly learning and you may think that you're doing something great, but it, you know, what your kind intention, it ended up harming somebody else or, or impacting them in a negative way. And when you learn that, make a change to, to do better. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely um, always learning and always listening to other people, particularly those that are that are the ones being affected or the ones in question. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing Kamloops, um, I want to say a couple of years ago now, um, during the midst of the Black Lives Matter initial sort of push in the States, there was a, a group that uh, was looking to put together a Black Lives Matter protest here in Kamloops. And there was some pushback because... There were no um, BIPOC. Is that the way to pronounce that? BIPOC? Uh, yeah, that's how I've been saying it. Um, there were no BIPOC people involved in the planning of Oh, it. right. Yes. And so it, it basically was accused of this kind of white saviorism thing. Mm-hmm. And and so everybody in, in that was on the organization committee were like, okay, well, we'll we won't do it. And I think they still ended up, have, there was an unofficial protest on the day in question, but, you know, it had not been officially... You know, and I and I think that was fantastic of them to do that. You know, at that point, yeah, maybe it is verging on on white saviorism, and and uh, the, let the people, you know, let the black lives themselves, you know, let mm-hmm. them be the one to carry that torch. You can support them absolutely, but maybe maybe it's not your place to be the one out there lighting the torch. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's a good point that you brought up there. Um, but yeah, that's I mean that's about all I have to say on the book. If you've got further notes, you're welcome to share. Um, I do. Yeah, just another quote, and this is from is it Lila Watson? 
uh, indigenous Australian uh, artist and activist and academic. And there's a quote that she has, I think it was near the end of the book. If you've come, this actually touches on kind of what you were talking about there. Um, if you have come here to help me, you are wasting our time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And I think that's good. Yeah, we shouldn't, you know, that whole white savior thing, like we shouldn't be taking up the torch for somebody else because it's not that we're saving them from racism. It's that we're just trying to end racism and we need to do that (laughs) together. And in doing so, that creates a better society for everyone to live in. Yeah, absolutely. That's all I got for my notes. Um, I, I mean, my takeaway from this book overall is that uh, I would definitely encourage, like if there's any parents listening to this right now and, uh, you know, you've got kids sort of in the, you know, grade four, five, six, um, I, I would say ask them to maybe go and see if this book is in their school library, encourage them to take it out and, uh, and spend some time reading it with them. I think it's, it's important for, you know, something for kids to be learning about and it's something for adults to be learning about too. I, I would definitely recommend this book, not just, not. I don't think it should just be a kid's book. I think it would be best absorbed by kids and parents alike. I think, yeah, this is a good just parenting book in general. Um, I wouldn't even leave it to the schools to do this. No, I mean, this point. is a good thing for schools to have, but I think this is a good conversation to have with your children. And yeah, it's sure, maybe times you might feel a little uncomfortable with some of the questions being asked, but I don't think it should be taken in that way. And especially the way that it's written, it's not accusing anyone of anything. It's just saying like, here's here's how we got here. Now here are some things that we can do to help each other out. And yeah, so I I would encourage you, I think you should read this with your daughter. I think this would be kind of like a fun thing. I definitely was. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think it should be a book that everyone reads. Yeah, I concur. Uh, I was actually having a conversation with somebody on Facebook today about um, uh, similarities between um, Christian missionary work and uh, uh, like colonizing. And uh, I thought briefly about like recommending this book to the person that I was having that conversation with just as a way to sort of opening yourself to these ideas that he probably hadn't thought of. Yeah. I mean, I don't see is. any negative way that this book could impact your life. No, <laughs> no matter who you are. No, it, it does. Sometimes, it does feel weird, you know, or it does feel like it would be weird to approach this as like, Hey, have you considered reading this children's book about racism? <laughs> but the it 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 is such a good book at like breaking it down in really easy to understand ways and approaching difficult subjects without you know really making accusations of people or like making anyone feel as i said before like i didn't at all feel guilty for my um privilege and i think the the, the fact that she was able to write the book that way is really um you know kudos to mm-hmm. her yeah because no. it is, you're right. It's like a difficult subject. Uh, a lot of things that we're gonna, you know, you're gonna read from the past are gonna be maybe em- embarrassing, uh, you know, for your lineage or whatever. But 
um, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's better to know than not know. Yeah. And knowing can help us be better and do better. Exactly. But we're never done knowing. You're never done knowing <laughs> until you're dead. And even then you never know. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're never, well, you'll be done knowing, but there's still more things to know. But we don't know for sure that I'll be done knowing when I'm dead. That's true. Yeah. We'll never know. <laughs> I mean, I will. Well, I won't. Because I, well. This <laughs> goes into a whole nother. <laughs> if I can keep knowing, then I'll know. But if I can't keep knowing, then I won't know because I can't know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And who knows? <laughs> um, um, that's about it that I got to say about the book. Do you have any? Uh, I already asked for your final thoughts. Uh, yeah, no, I have nothing more to add other than just thanks for um, inviting me to come on this uh, anti-racist journey with you. Uh, we will be, as always, following our multi-part episode up with a live episode on, uh, what is that, November 15th? Yes, that's a Monday. So Monday, November 15th at 7 p.m. Um, we'll be live on the Podbean app. A reminder that if you want to call in or join us in the chat room, you will need to be using the Podbean app. Uh, and if you are calling in, you do need to have a, a headset uh, connected to your microphone or your phone. Uh, we hope we will want to uh, call and join us. It's one of the my favorite parts is being able to chat with people live, especially if they've been following the episodes along and you know want to have questions about the book you know our thoughts on things share their own thoughts on things mm-hmm. like you got plenty of time to uh to go and read this book uh between now and when the live episode hits so like maybe go and take it out of the library i'm about to return my copy here in camlet yeah it's an easy you know. reader so yeah you have no excuse give it a read pick out all the things that you think we got wrong and then like come and tell educate us, us. Racism is great <laughs> or you know give us be the be the voice of the uh, the the opposing view of anti racism if you want to be or don't just call in and say that racism sucks like we've kind of been saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, November fifteenth, seven p.m. We will be live. Uh, hope to see you then. Um, Carlo, you want to plug our other thing? Uh, yeah, so we do another podcast, Todd and I, and it is Half Cut Conspiracies. And on that one, we enjoy some random drinks each episode and cover a different conspiracy that has infiltrated the modern society. And there's a lot of interesting and funny ones out there. So it's it's usually a good time uh, where we sit down and just kind of shoot the shit. So if you're interested in chatting about conspiracies or learning about random Random fun fact conspiracies. Uh, we've covered things such as um, Area 51. We just did one on Tupac. We've got um, another Halloween one coming out, which will, I guess, will be out when you release this one on um, Jack the Ripper. Yeah, uh, some conspiracies behind that. So we cover a wide array of conspiracies and we have a fun time doing it. So, yeah, if you want to uh, check that out, uh, just you can search us at Half Crit Conspiracies on any of your socials uh, or with Google. We're on all um, podcast apps. So, yeah, give us a listen. And you can find links to all that uh, on the web as well at blah, 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 media.com. B-L-A-H-B-L-A-H-B-L-A-H-media. 
Um, I guess that's that. Um, thanks for listening. Until we meet again, why don't you go and read a fucking book?